Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. The third century A.D., brought both good news and bad news to the Roman province of Britain. The good news was that, as in all other parts of the empire, the Christian faith was becoming more and more pervasive in the wider culture and even in the apparatus of the Roman military. The bad news, though, was that new waves of migrations and invasions from the barbarian north and east stretched imperial resources to the breaking point. Initially, the empire responded with substantial energy and resources. The emperor Hadrian ordered the construction of a defensive wall beginning in 122 AD. The stone and earthwork wall, punctuated every five miles by garrisons, eventually stretched across 73 miles from the banks of the River Tyne near the North Sea all the way to the Solway Firth on the west coast. Hadrian's Wall would mark the northern limit of the empire, separating it from the wild lands of the northern Britons, Caledonians, and Picts. Twenty-five years later, another wall was ordered constructed by the emperor Antonius Pius, The Antonine Wall stretched 37 miles across central Scotland, beginning with the Firth of Forth and the Firth of Clyde, stretching all the way through the center of the land. But the onslaughts of the barbarian tribes continued unabated. Just eight years after its completion, the Antonine Wall was abandoned, and the garrisons were pulled back to Hadrian's Wall. An attempt was made in 208 to repair the breastworks and reestablish legions at the wall, but within five years, the wall was again abandoned. By the end of the 4th century, the continuous buffeting of Britain by marauding barbarians as well as imperial economic decline an unending cycle of military coups and the persistent threat of invasion by Germanic tribes on the continent caused the Emperor Honorius to abandon Britain altogether. Within two years, the entire Roman administration and its legions were gone and Britain was left to look to its own defenses. Historian Paul Johnson has commented that the departure of Rome's army and governance may not have been nearly as disastrous as it has oft been portrayed. This event is usually presented in the English history books as a catastrophe in which the protective umbrella of Rome was removed and the defenseless inhabitants of the island exposed to the fury of the barbarians Uh, left civilization in Britain to be extinguished for centuries, and the island vanished into the long night 
of the dark ages. But Johnson says the truth is far more complex, far more interesting, and in light of the island's later history, far more significant. In fact, Roman civilization continued to thrive despite being untethered from Rome. Even the old fortifications, like Hadrian's Wall, were manned well into the 6th century, garrisoned by local Britons and Roman soldiers who remained behind in their adopted homeland. Indeed, according to the rich Arthurian legend of Camelot, the days immediately following Rome's departure constituted a halcyon age for Britain. For decades before he pulled his legions back to the continent, the emperor had reluctantly begun to entrust the task of defending the borders, collecting the taxes, and keeping the peace uh, to the barbarian chieftains and warlords who now lived along the frontiers of the empire, making them his vassal allies. In return for their faithful obeisance, He granted them lands, titles, and authorities in hereditary perpetuity. Thus, they became kings, dukes, barons, marquises, and nobles. This was the very simple beginning of what became the very complex feudal order, which in time would dominate the affairs of men and movements throughout the medieval era. Ultimately, everyone within the society would have some sort of a covering of accountability and allegiance. Rather than allowing British territories to become a progressively atomized and fragmented community, feudalism aimed at a genuine covenantal unity within the various interrelated stations in life stacked like a giant Zynga puzzle. What made the dynamic of feudalism actually work was the fact that this stacked puzzle was personal in nature, not merely institutional. It was indeed covenantal, an idea taken directly from the Bible. Thus, peasants related to their local lords, local lords related to dukes and princes, dukes and princes related to kings, and kings related to emperors or popes. Fidelity and chivalry were thus calculated on the basis of relationships to people, not to governments, not to states, not to lands, not even to countries. And this remarkable covenantal social structure was given great vitality by the dynamism of ever-growing Christian cultural influence. As the native history recorded by the Venerable Bede attests, the church in Britain produced a prodigious number of heroes, nobles and knights, church planters and monastic founders, missionaries and scholars, the worldview foundations that would produce the giants of the faith like Patrick and Columba were laid covenantally, as were the resources and the resolve necessary for both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant, 
on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and resources, go to georgegrant.net.